0: Hi, this is episode 78 of K-12 Tech Talk. This is Josh. I'm back from vacation and COVID, and Chris is gone. But Mark and I are here tonight, and we talk about how to handle accounts of people who are leaving after we talked about new accounts last week. Um, Mark is going to ISTE and uh, be, and we will be on a panel about interoperability, and we also talk about fishing exercises and a couple recent fishes that Mark and Josh have been seeing. Have a listen. Um so that playground where the hell is the record button this is k12 tech Talk K12 tech Talk the podcast by K12 techs for K12 Techs real conversations, real arguments and real banter on trending k12 technology topics and issues. live from the somethingcool.com studios this is k12 tech talk this is episode 78 i am back from vacation and i don't know if they told you covid leave uh we went on a nice beautiful cruise to the islands and the only thing i brought back was covid um my son and i both got it uh, on the way home first let's say mark is here chris is not here chris is out of town enjoying a vacation with his family in florida so you have Mark and I tonight. Mark, how are you Just doing? Us.
1: I'm good. I'm good. Busy at work. We're wrapping up the year, getting ready for summer school and wrapping up a superintendent search. So.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have a new soup this year, too. And she told me an interesting statistic for the state of Missouri. I'll have to share that in a minute. Um, so, yeah, we um, we went to the Virgin Islands on a cruise and we were in the Fort Lauderdale airport coming home. And my son started coughing and sneezing and we're like, man, man, why don't you put on a mask? And uh, by the time we landed uh, a couple hours later, he's like, man, my throat kind of hurts. And then he, by the time we got home, we're about an hour and a half away from the airport. uh, He says, man, I can't breathe through my nose. So we had him test that night and sure enough, he tested positive that night. And then the next day I go to work, it's Monday. I go to work. I'm fine. Telling everybody about my trip, you know, talking seeing what all happened while I was gone. And, Felt fine all day long, got home, started feeling kind of puny, uh, throat started hurting. By the time I went to bed, I couldn't breathe through my nose. So I tested and tested like immediately it popped positive. So, yeah, Um, I had an extra week. This is the cleanup phase of COVID where anybody that didn't get it. Yeah, right. Getting it. Right. Yeah. And I, I had not, neither of us had had, had had it before. My wife actually had it back in May, mid May, early May. We didn't catch it from her when she yeah. had it. Um, but we go on a cruise and we both, he and I both catch it. Um, but we had a great trip. The Virgin Islands are beautiful. Um, but yeah it, was gorgeous. It, yeah, it was, it was a good time. It was, it was a great time. So now we are, I guess, kind of in the full steam ahead with, end of year preparation, I, you kind of mentioned, um, I, I said, you know, every year we have teachers that leave to go to another district or retire or whatever. Um, and we kind of handle those accounts and I'll, I'd be curious to get your take on this, Mark. We, in Missouri, when a teacher retires, there's a 30 day separation rule where they can't have contact with the district for 30 days and they kind of hold over them. Um, this rule of if you contact the district within the first thirty days, you could forfeit part of your retirement. Or, wow. your, yeah, it it's a really weird threat. But it, it, I mean, when you say contact, like
1: if you say like uh, my retirement's not going through, like you can't even like
0: not even with HR. I, now, or? now that I don't know, but I from like I had a IT person, a friend of mine that's an IT person at another district that retired, and he was like, yeah, they they threaten you with like you cannot contact the school. You, you, you can't don't, don't call us. Don't email us. <laughs> it, it, it's really weird. So I'm in discussions with <laughs> a it's like teacher. A, it's like a divorce. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. The separation agreement. Um, I'm in conversations with a teacher that is retired or retiring at the end of this month and will be a coach again in the fall. And I'm like, well, you know, we really haven't had this happen before. Cause he was asking about email access Like, well, we haven't really had this happen before. But if you kind of follow that 30-day separation rule that they have and the threat that they have, I think we're gonna have to disable your mail for that for the month of July at least, and then let you back in August. So I'm gonna have to talk with central office with the HR people and kind of see what they say. But I have a feeling they're gonna say, yeah, July one, disable his account and, and we'll go from there. But that leads into the other discussion of when people leave, do you disable their account or do you delete their account I'll, we we disable the account for the purpose of one that mail is still in the archive then if you delete it mm-hmm. um it's gone from the archive yeah and and two document document access um we've tried pushing more and more people to shared drives that cuz we we house all of our curriculum in we we roll we roll our own we don't have a management solution whatever um so we roll it we have all that in, in shared drives and early on before shared drives was a, was a thing when a teacher let's say a, say the grade leader the grade level leader left or retired and they were the curator of the the curriculum content for that grade level we had to be really careful when they left otherwise if we deleted their account we're we're deleting that curriculum content for right, that grade right. level so that's when we got in the habit of disabling rather than deleting
1: yeah, I don't think there's ever a scenario where we would delete an account, student or staff. And, and part of it is like you just mentioned, all the documents and sharing and, and record keeping. But the other part is just public records requests and student records requests. You can't, I can't ever think of a scenario where we have to delete
0: accounts. So we're always suspending. Interesting. So you've, huh? so your, your account count just continues to grow.
1: From a faculty well, the,
0: standpoint, it does for us. As students, we we do yeah. pair off every once in a while.
1: Yeah. I mean the, the active account is always going to reflect the number of employees and students we have. But, but you're the, sus- we're suspending the accounts. Yeah. yeah. And it's just well, for two reasons. The first is, as you mentioned, archiving. You need to make sure that you have the emails and you have documents. Cause when you delete an account, uh you are deleting what's in the account as well. So suspending or or um archiving it's you know different phrases in different ways but right basically what we're saying is we need the ability to turn the account back on at any time and access what's in it the other reason though is we just have people who come back and as you just mentioned you've got somebody who's coming back in september it's very common for us to to say oh this person you know they, they come they've come back and their account comes back on so that's a very common practice for us and in fact we're You know july 1 is the date when when i know that all these accounts will will be suspended due to uh you know people's people leaving i know my phone phone is going to blow up on the morning of july 1 when people come back and say hey i just need a little bit more time in my account or um i'm in between jobs i am coming back to the district i'm coming back as a teacher i'm in a different job but there's a little bit of a lapse between can you just turn my account back on so all of that stuff hits. I'm always dreading July 1. In fact, the two guys on my team that do accounts, uh, they're both out on July 1. Oh, so I think it's think it's, it's going to be a little bit of a mess. There's a coordinated <laughs> effort on their part.
0: To, to I know. Get you. Let's leave Mark to all of his terrible emails and calls. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I know last week you guys talked about account creation and when that happens. And um, yeah. so you you guys kind of stick pretty hard to that July 1 if if they're leaving that account gets disabled on July 1.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, so there's a little bit of a debate, but our system will disable the account on the last day. So there are different contracts in the district. Some people are ending on July 1, some people are ending when the school year flips over in like the late August. So we kind of know that there's two main dates when people's accounts will turn off or if somebody leaves in the middle of the year, their account's going to shut off on their last day. Um we get a uh, request from an employee to say, "Oh, I forgot something. Can you let me back in my account?" Our practice is we need approval from their supervisor. Yeah, uh, we don't always know the circumstances which somebody's left, and sometimes right. the supervisor says, "No, please, please don't." Um, yeah. So our normal practice will will tempor- temporarily enable the account uh, with supervisor approval. We try not to go thirty to sixty days yeah uh, thir- more than 30 or 60 days like for the summer we've kind of set our practices like all right we're not going to let somebody go past the end of the summer yeah you know we've got might have a principal who's leaving
0: they they're, they're kind of helping their their uh, successor um well, but it, it yeah. kind of gets back into that thing of you know that technically they're not a employee anymore if they've if they've fulfilled their contract their contracted day or contracted hours and and they're we're now into that July yeah. time frame you know that technicality of it is they may not be considered an employee so reopening that account and giving them access for an extended amount of time more than a couple of days could could wind up being an issue because now right. you have a non-employee that's technically not covered by privacy agreements and stuff like that anymore because they've separated in em- uh, employment um yeah that that can get sticky but i i completely understand the the need for that to re-enable those at times um, we do have, um, a thing called, we, we call them sponsored accounts where like, if you have a
1: student intern or, or sure. student teacher or something like that, and, and we'll create a, an account for them, it's a, it's governed, uh, the whole process is governed where you have to have a sponsor and they fill the account out and they do the expiration date. So that process, when we have somebody who's, who's saying, oh, I need more than X number of days or X number of months, we're going to say, okay, let's move you to a sponsored account that way there is an employee in the district who has ownership over you who has yeah. you know they're, they're responsible for the account so at least you know it's still a non-employee in their account but at least there is an employee an active employee
0: who's overseeing that person. right and nine times out of ten that's going to be their supervisor exactly yep yeah so summertime uh i think this has gotten to be one of the times of the year that has become a conference time of the year at least uh from some of the big ones you mentioned you're going to isti we'll talk about that in a minute uh of course the big one here in our area midwest tech talk in the summertime uh it is later well july not this month it'll be next month mid next month at lake of the ozarks missouri midwesttechtalk.com give that a, a look at that some of our sponsors include provision data solutions who uh, I actually was texting with Derek today about Fortigate and what operating or what firmware version to be running, or actually what to be st- to stay away from. And uh, let's see, HP Aruba, I believe, will be there again this year as well, offering some, uh, some tech, some tips on the new switch line and, uh, giving us a, some deep dives on that. So check those guys out and check out Midwest Tech Talk. So Mark, tell us about what you are doing at ISTE and how you got roped in to go into there. Uh, I'm
1: excited. I've, I've been to ISTE maybe once before. It's usually at a tough time of year for us, um, but I'm uh, in an organization called the Council of Great City Schools, which is the the largest districts in the country. And uh, we're doing a project around interoperability. And so there's a whole uh, a group of us have come, to get, come together and said, look, we got to fix this interoperability thing. There are a whole host of issues internally and externally with, with how school districts are managing data and systems access. And um, so it's a multi-year project and we're kind of in about halfway through and uh, the, there's, I think, four districts, four of us are going to do a panel on Monday afternoon. So if you are at ISTE, swing by our interoperability panel, and you get to hear what we're doing in our district and, and the successes that we've had so far, some of the challenges that we're running into. And, you know, the ultimate goal, as I mentioned, is just to increase awareness of interoperability, why it's important, and talk about some of the benefits we're getting, and then kind of talk about some of the challenges in the industry that we, we've got to address um, you know, interoperability, there is no standard, like there is in the medical field. You, you always hear about the, the medical record has been standardized, HL7, yeah. HL7, right? There is no equivalent to HL7 in education. So, you know, how do we, how do we get around, uh, the fact that every district has their own data standard and student record is unique from district to district and then not to mention state to state. Did you,
0: how did you know about HL7? Did you come from um, healthcare I did world? not. No, I, um, it's funny. So we,
1: we transitioned student information systems uh, almost 10 years ago. And my applications developer, the, the lead for that team came on kind of on the tail end of that. And he came from the medical industry. He was like, this is insane. We figured this oh. out in the, in the health industry with the HL7. Why haven't you guys figured this out in education? Yeah, and so then we we started to explore this thing called EdFi, which was trying to create a a single data student repository, and uh, and we've been on that pathway since. So
0: interesting. Yeah, I I spent um about fifteen years in healthcare, and I I remember when we got the first interface engine, and it was a big deal because you know all of the major systems were supposed to be able to interface with that or receive uh adt admission discharge and transfer information um yeah. from the from the main his system over hl7 um yep. and it's kind of been one of those things that's taken off um and it, it's cool it was cool to see it because everybody everybody did it so the interoperability between hospital to hospital or system to system those problems just kind of went away um yeah so it, it would be super nice to see something like that come into k-12 where you have you know the big players like tyler and power school and those places like that um so yeah it it would be nice to see that happen and and we're
1: we're trying to you know in 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 our district we've chosen edfi uh and there are are a lot of interoperability standards and some of them overlap but you know our pathway on edfi has been very very um difficult but eye-opening around there's a lot of work that we need to do collectively. This is not about like a single standard rising to fame and suddenly taking over the, the industry. Like we, as districts need to come together and say, this is insane. We're just killing each other, each other up by everybody doing their own thing. Even yeah. just a simple thing. Like, you know, if you're, if you're involved in your student information system, all those values that you have on the downs for race, and ethnicity, you decide what's best for your district. And yeah. Then when that student moves from one school to the next, they've got to redo all that paperwork. You can't transfer the data file from one district to the next. And it just, we're all cannibalizing each other with all, you know, duplicating data entry and, you know, adopting systems that just don't talk to our systems. And uh, I, I'm sure you have heard the phrase, our systems don't talk to each other. Well, right, my right. my response back is they not, they're not designed to.
0: Right. And, well, uh, yeah. I think that's where one of the reasons why companies like Clever and and others have have seen traction is because they kind of become that clearinghouse yeah. or almost not a data warehouse, but, you know, that interface engine type um, for for student information systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're doing a decent, a decent job at it. Um, but if there was a single standard. It, it would be better. It would be much better. Right. Right.
1: But, and that's, that's the other problem, a single standard. There are multiple standards out there and uh, it's, it's just, it's really challenging. And so we're all adopting new platforms and tools and lightweight tools and heavyweight tools like your student information system and your ERP. And th- th- nobody is saying on your procurement, it must use this standard. It's right. just not it's just not common for districts to say you must adhere to the
0: standard right now. Right.
1: Um, well, and yeah,
0: because part of the problem is you have these student information systems that aren't aren't collecting the same data and right. and don't pass the same data like you were saying ethnicity or I know free and reduced lunch is one of those protected fields that really shouldn't be shared. But, you know, so then that becomes part of the argument, too. OK, in in an interface or an inter- interoperability system, are you going to pass free and reduced lunch information? Yeah. Are you yeah. are you going to pass uh, court orders that you might have in there where, you know, mom has custody and and dad only picks up two days a week? So what gets included? What yeah. what gets passed if it if it's an interoperability from school to school with transfers? I would think a good portion of that gets passed um but if it's data going to a third party for a, a system for a login or SSO you know they got to filter out what what data is actually going flowing back and forth right right yeah and 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 even just the the
1: race race and ethnicity is right. just so wildly different from district to district and and i get it it's often reflective of where you are if you're on the sure. west coast You're going to have a very different set of values than you are on the East Coast or on the Southern Coast or Northern or even the center of the country. But at the heart of it, there should be at least one nationwide set of values that we're using for race and ethnicity. And that's just one field that in theory should be the easiest one to solve. Right. But it is not and right. and that is that is one field that's like on every single form when you go to the doctor's office when you go to to register for school there's always going to be a race field and ethnicity right. field um and that's just one example and it just gets so much more gray when you get into the academic stuff when you get into the operational things yeah how
0: districts handle it so and it's funny you say that because when i was at the hospital we had uh um apparently those lists are customizable per per system and the hospital asks what religion because you know if you're in a bad shape and they need to get a a a person of faith Mm. there to do a blessing or whatever they they'd like to know that information Hmm. and i remember we had a problem um we had a gentleman that came in that was of the jewish faith and his and and judaism was not listed in in the religion section but other religions that you would think in our area were relatively low uh yeah amounts of people were so it's just funny like you said we they're gonna have to agree on you know what's included or what options are available in in that uh in that list um but yeah that's that's probably not going to be an easy task
1: no and and just uh starting with the fields and the values of that field is just the tip of the iceberg, right? How those fields are governed and used is a right. whole other conversation. Right. So that's interoperability. I mean, that is, and that is just one sliver of it. Um, and then, you know, some of the other stuff that within our cohort we're talking about is procurement. What is your process for selecting new tools and, and how are you making sure that tools are being selected that are compatible hmm. authentication, rostering, data warehousing, um, accessibility, all of these things are kind of topics that we're talking about as 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 part of our interoperability problem that we're trying to solve. So if you're at ISTE, come on down to our
0: presentation. It's a panel discussion on Monday. And I think, you know, part of that, you could draw similarities with the Student Data Privacy Alliance. Yes. You're not, you're not, something's going to have to make these vendors buy in and and be willing to voluntarily align with whatever inter- interoperability standard there is. And yeah. I I don't know how in the world you you convince it's got to be like herding cats, you know, it I don't I don't know how you would do that. Um so we're still having hardware shortages uh but I did get a phone call today that we ordered a bunch of new copiers. And I got a phone call today that about I think half of our order has come in. So they want to start dropping those off, which I was I was shocked because I fully I did not expect to see those until in the fall, honestly, after school started. Mm. So it'll be interesting. And then I also um, I bought a new FortiGate for an offsite facility that we have. And I was running into it. was It's a small FortiGate, super small Um and I was running into availability issues with some of the ones I was looking at, so I had to call. Actually, I called PDS and said, "Hey, man, what what is going to be available the quickest?" And they said, "Well, you know, this certain model it says anywhere from sixty days to one hundred and twenty days." I'm like, "Well, if that's the if that's the quickest one," uh, and it showed up uh, while I was gone, while I was out with COVID. So uh, that's that's nice to see yes. equipment finally starting to move. And I believe my Chromebooks have shipped. They're all uh, white-gloved and in- inventoried. They're supposed to arrive Monday, I believe. I think we ordered 700 or so of those. Hey, be
1: whatever happened to those Chromebooks that were stuck with that
0: vendor? That they are still stuck with that vendor. Um, they are going through the bankruptcy process. Um, I have not heard anything. I, I did a search the other day, um, and they've had a couple hearings in their bankruptcy stuff, but um, I haven't been able to look and see if if they're actually going to send back old equipment. Um that, you know what? I may I may post on K twelve Reddit and see if anybody's heard anything. Uh, but yeah, those forty devices that are that were stuck with Stay Mobile or at Stay Mobile when they declared bankruptcy and closed their doors are still, as far as I know, are still at Stay Mobile. They're not they're not with me. That's crazy. Um, the funny thing is, their website is still up. Their portal, their repair portal, where we can create tickets and check the status of things. That's still up. We've screenshotted that and exported data out of there to make sure that if it does go down we st- we do have information. Um, but yeah, supposedly the vendors that have sold warranties that were tied to them are now starting to say, you know we've we've <coughs> secured an agreement with this other repair company. they will honor the re- the rest of the warranty year. So people that have that are at least seeing some headway, um, okay. So I, I honestly don't know. I, I don't know. Wow. I'm, I'm not, I'm, ex- I'm fully expecting not to see those devices again. And we're, we're small potatoes, you know, that it was 40 devices. I know there's schools out there. I think on the subreddit out there, there's a, a couple of schools that had, you know, a couple thousand devices there. So, um, 40s, you know, it's 40, but it's still a lot to us. It's, um,
1: still, it's it's forty devices times you know three hundred dollars right. a device. Right. That's It's insane, and
0: right. it's not theirs. It's not like they could take their assets and liquidate them. They
1: were right, borrowing your device to repair it.
0: And I, I think part of the problem is it's. I don't know that it's being held hostage for a liquidation thing. I think it's just they right. closed, they locked the doors, and, and right. didn't reopen. So no one's come in to ship them back. So. They technically don't have employees now. So I, I, I don't, wouldn't even know how to begin to do that. Like the CEO is not going to, because they have multiple sites. The site we ship to was, I think, down in Texas somewhere. They had another one in Georgia. The CEO is not going to go to that site in Texas and start packing my crap up and mail it to me. I, I don't know. I don't know what they yeah. I don't know how that's going to shake out. Okay. Um, real quick, let's talk, <clears throat> talk about Infoblox. Um, Chris and I had a call with Infoblox. Um, actually while I was out with COVID and, you know, it, I've, I've heard of him in full box for, for quite a, quite a while in the DNS space. They've been around, but I did not realize they had been around 20 years, um, or over 20 years doing the, the DNS, uh, securing DNS on the web. And one of the big things that they are, are doing now is, and, and call me silly, call me foolish or. Uh, not in tune to things, um, but I, they the way that they're securing DNS, so they, they talked to Chris and I about this vulnerability with, with the DNS protocol that uh, you can actually pass data, real data over the DNS protocol um, outbound. So your firewall wouldn't block it. Your firewall would see it as uh, validated, uh, correct packet um, DNS traffic. And it would actually contain data. So if you had a bad guy on your network that was starting to exfiltrate or trying to exfiltrate data, they could use this vulnerability in the DNS protocol to ship your data out. Um, One of the things that Infoblox does is they protect against that. They have products to help you secure your DNS protocol and make sure that that data exfiltration cannot happen over the DNS protocol. So if you want to know more about that protocol and how to, how to secure your DNS infrastructure or other, IP, they do complete IPM stuff. So IP address management, uh, keeping track of things, Infoblox does a lot. But right now, their big focus is securing DNS and that data, excuse me, that data exfiltration. So hit up Infoblox and let them know that you heard about them here and that you want to know more about their securing DNS product um mark you mentioned before the show that you are you've joined the club of fishing your staff welcome welcome to the club um it will scare you when you i i know the first time that we sent out a fish to all of our staff not just our it folks but um because there's only three of us uh everybody it it was a pretty eye-opening scary oh my god what am i doing with my life type (laughs) a couple weeks because it was like you know man we've we've talked about this we've we, I've talked to you people about not clicking on stuff that you're not expecting. Don't click on the goofy email or, you know, the, the fish page that's got the word password misspelled. Um, so yeah, it's, it's bad, but we now currently, I, the last time we fished our fish rate, our click rate was down under 3%. Um, so it's, it's, I, I feel like we're in a good spot. I think the national average for education is up over five, um, according to Nova before, um, so you are you sent out your first fish tell us what's going on uh i'm looking at the results right now and i'm not not in a
1: good place uh so we've done some fishing before in the past this is the first time we just adopted a new platform uh and we're like all right this has got the the platform's got a lot more features in it than we've used in the past and it has a huge template gallery so there's three of us that know that we're doing this we haven't told the team yet that we're where we're moving and, and adopting this so we're announcing it with the first fish. so this this first one only went to just my department, and uh, I'm staring at the results. The email went out to we did to everybody at once, but we did it after work, so you can't you know kind of prairie dog and tell people, "Oh, this is a fish, don't eat, don't open that email." right, right So um you know, not everybody has opened the email. I'm almost to about half people who have actually opened the email, which I don't think is a terrible no, metric, no metric, right? no you know, opening the email is fine. You can open it, but it's, you know, what do you do afterwards? Well, we're almost at about half people who have clicked the link in the email. Ooh. But but in their defense, we, the three of us were going through the templates trying to find like, we got to make the first one, the, the absolute hardest one. Oh, so and you went hardcore. We went hardcore and we found the one email. is like, I'm actually surprised it's not more than 50%. So this was a... Um, we're we're getting to the summertime, and where my office is, well, one year they had food trucks about oh, a yeah. block away every Thursday. You knew that the 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 bond me truck was going to be outside the office. You could you know you always get excited for food truck day. Well, this fish email was here's the summer schedule for the food trucks. Oh, Uh and I was and I think we've heard like food
0: emails yeah. always
1: yeah. get the best click rates. Yeah, uh, lost so, lost dogs. Yeah lost dog so was so it, now we
0: know was it yeah. chris that told the story about the he sent a fish that no it, it was another, another one of our friends in the area that sent a fish about about a lost dog you know hey we've seen this dog on campus we don't know whose it is whatever and it, and it was a fish that he sent out and yeah. uh it got out that it was that <laughs> it was a fish that he sent and he, boy there were some upset people
1: well there was the district we talked about this months ago the district That was before i joined you guys talked about the district in like i think maybe washington state yeah 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 that did like a hey it's christmas time you guys have had a really rough year here's a 50 dollars target gift card haha you would fish i mean that's just mean. yeah uh but you know it's a it's a lesson i guess
0: it to a degree i i think you know some of those uh some of the templates in the fishing services i i had to exclude from our randomness because that's one of the things that i liked about no before is you could pick a category and okay pick <laughs> randomly send one of these 10 emails or these yeah. 10 templates to my list of people like you said to address the prairie dogging issue um but i've had to go in and exclude the some that are you know like ah uh, yeah uh, we're, we're not gonna do the 50 dollar gift card fish you know we're not gonna we're not gonna yeah. do stuff like that so um so do you have a plan then as to what you're gonna do after the fact are you gonna require the clickers to do training or what do you know what are you gonna do
1: yeah so we we worked with the the company today and and he said uh their recommendation was you know you that first one that you send out really is your announcement that you're doing this, it's your announcement of of how you're doing this so i I look at this as okay we we chose a really, really hard one." The email itself didn't have any spelling mistakes. I mean, there's you know a couple of clues in there that, that should have tipped people off. But I mean it's it's it, food trucks. I mean, who yeah. who's not gonna want right. to know when the food trucks are coming right. by the office? Right. Um, so I think when we start to get into more um, you know, the next ones that we do will have, okay, now you're gonna you're gonna be required to take training. And they're gonna be a little bit more realistic to like the types of emails that are going to come in you know the gift card scams the the sextortion those right. kinds of things that that we do see on a regular basis want to make sure that when something really bad comes in uh like when i say bad i mean like a really obvious scam comes right. in that at least people know okay don't click on it and then here's how to report it Yeah, that's one of the things that we'll be measuring and then if you do click on it here's a training video that you've got to go through and then you know maybe once every 6 months we'll
0: hit one hit them with one of these really difficult ones yeah um well and i I think what's important too is around christmas you do a christmas themed fish you know mm because i've I've had this discussion with with faculty you know you you shouldn't play on our emotions i'm like well i'm gonna respectfully disagree with you because the bad guys are gonna play on your emotions so i'm i'm just not i'm not doing this for fun and giggles and it's it's a game which i do we do have fun with it we we have way more fun with it than um, then negative impact with it. But I, there's, there needs to be that realization of at Christmas time, you're going to see an uptick in shipping, in fake, in, in phishing emails that are about a package. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's an important part too.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, I, I would like to share the results with department heads so that they know, Hey, here's the results for your team or your school. But do so at anonymous level, you know, like I, I want you to know, Hey HR, here's where you are right now. Um, That gets them to send the message more broadly to everybody rather than just this one person. Yeah. But it, it does kind of bring up the point. Well, what if you do have somebody that's like, they're the one that does all the financial transfers and they just get hit every single one. Like at what point do I say, okay, this is more than just a training. We've got a serious problem. So that's,
0: that's what I haven't figured out yet. And for us, um and i know for a couple other schools early on before we mandated 2fa anyway if you were if you were to that point of you've clicked on it three you've clicked on a fish four or five times now we know it uh the discussion became more more along the lines of okay we're adding extra layers of protection with your accounts you you're not you don't have admin rights anymore yeah. we're turning 2fa on your email we're yeah. we're doing all these extra layers of things because you you're not getting it, um. So yeah, I, that's one way to take care of it because required training is only going to go so far. At some right. point, you have to take alternative me- measures. Um, well, and sp- this, go ahead. <laughs> this new platform has the the
1: USB thing as well, so you can download a file yes, and that's you does. can make a USB yeah. trap. So I um, I was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna got to do this on the CFO. He's a good friend of mine, so I know that he'll at least he'll at least get a kick out of it. So I made a file that said the name of our ERP, usernames and passwords, put oh. it on a flash drive and dropped it on his desk. Uh, he was out for a couple of weeks. Uh, and so he finally came back and I noticed, I'm like, well, it hasn't been clicked. So I went up to his office today and said, hey, I think I left a USB drive. And he had, he's like, yeah, that thing was sitting on my desk. I put it over there. I'm like, you didn't put it in your computer? Why would I ever put a, US, a strange USB drive in my computer? Good on I was, he's, and he said, he's like, I, you know what? I apologize. I was supposed to call you and let you know that, like, I found the random USB drive. I'm like, oh, you, you passed the test. Yeah. No kidding.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I, I tried doing that and my stupid antivirus kept picking up the file and marking it so it wouldn't run. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of fishes, there is a uh, fish going around right now. I don't know about you guys in, in Massachusetts, but here in Missouri, some of the school districts cut all of the summer checks in the end of June and then uh so that it's a big payroll month. So what what is going around in Missouri right now our bad guys are sending emails to HR departments. They're finding out who the payroll people are and they're saying, "Hey, I'm I'm teacher Susie Smith and I need to change my direct deposit information. Here's the new routing and banking account information. Can you go ahead and change that for me?" Now, where I am a um, couple of years ago, we saw this come through and, and they decided to start making people, if, if you want a direct deposit change or actually any change with payroll that's related to payroll, you need to come in. You have to come in and sign things. You're not, we're not doing that transaction over email. But there are schools that do do it over email or payroll people that, oh, yeah, I know Susie. Yeah, I, okay, I'll do this for her. Um, and they're getting caught and, and they're, they're losing money. So if you're a school district, it might be worth talking to your payroll department or your HR department and asking them what the, pr- what the procedure is about yeah. changing and making sure that they understand the threat there. And if they don't require people to come in, that they need to have a serious conversation about requiring that.
1: Yeah, we did get hit. Uh, we had a, a phishing scam. It was, it was within the last year, actually, where um, a spoof email went to somebody in payroll and saying, "Hey, this is this is me. I need to change my direct deposit." And we have protocols and systems in place. I'm not going to go into any of the details because sure. obviously, if somebody's listening to this, wanting sure. to figure out what those are, so those protocols stopped it from going through. But it was still a very strong lesson for that person Yeah. Uh, because they did think for for a minute they did think this was the the real employee. and, sure. they, and they started to go down that road. But luckily. Processes took over and stopped it from happening, and right. my team was actually the the at the heart of being able to see, hey, this just happened. So that was that was a really good thing to have in place. But like you said, you need to have something in place that stops somebody from receiving a fake email and
0: changing direct deposits and payroll and all that kind right. of stuff because payroll is the target. Like we've talked before, going to your having your principals go to their staff in their first staff meeting of the year and saying, I will not email you and ask you to go buy Google play gift cards. Um, yeah. That, that's just something that that needs to be said. It, you don't really think that you need to say it, but it needs to be said. Yeah. Um, so yeah.
1: Uh, those, of, those gift cards have, I mean, we've just gotten, we get those all the time. Do you really?
0: I haven't seen any come through. We got hit um, about, I was back, I guess it was, it was either earlier this week or last week um we got a hit again with another emotet email Oof. um and about it was let's see let me think about this for a minute it was it was while i was home so it was COVID week um in the span of 30 minutes i think we had 20 <clears throat> 23 emails come in that had an encrypted attachment that the payload it was a Word document or an Excel document. You download it, it runs a macro, Down downloads an Emotet loader. Um, so, yeah, that's going around again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thankfully, we've got that rule turned on with Gmail of uh, any encrypted attachments get quarantined until they're approved. So that's good. Uh, speaking of new superintendents, um, I had a meeting with my boss, who is our new superintendent, starting July 1. And she was at the state in uh, our state capitol the last couple of days, getting new superintendent orientation training from Desi, And she said that there are 72 new superintendents this year out of 540 school districts or 542 school districts in the state. Um, the Department of Education said it's a record of new superintendents taking over this year. So it's, that was pretty shocking. Not that that relates to IT at all, but I just found that <clears throat> to be an interesting statistic yeah
1: we're, we're as i mentioned before we're going through interviews right now so by the time we have our next episode i'll know who our next superintendent is um but this is my uh in 10 years in this position this is my sixth i think wow uh, so uh, funny on a on a related note uh, a week or two ago i went through for a, for a particular project i was doing i went through the top 100 largest districts in the country and looked up when their last when their current superintendent was was put in place and i'll have to share this i could probably share this we could maybe do it as a as a tweet with the podcast of the 100 largest districts in the united states there's only one district that has had a superintendent in place for 10 years wow only one Almost, I'm sorry, just over 60% of districts in the top 100 have changed superintendents since COVID hit. Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. So that's, you know, two and a half years, 60% of our largest districts have changed over their superintendent. Wow. That's pretty wild. Yeah. No,
0: it's not. I mean, like you said, it's not an IT thing. but we all it, feel it sure absolutely like i think you've said before you know that that whole okay we got this plan we're going down this road this direction you get new leadership in okay we're hanging a hard left um yeah 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 wow 60 percent in the last two and a half years that's wild yeah yeah and i when i
1: first started i was like I mean, maybe i'll try to do like the the number of superintendents that people had but I you just Yeah, I can't even figure that out. Yeah, and you got like interims and actings and all that kind of stuff. But if you just look at the current superintendents and who is in place, uh, 60% in the last two and a half years have changed. Wow. And I'm sure a number of those
0: have changed multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. So good old COVID. All right. Well, I don't think this was too bad of an episode without Chris. I think we we, uh, got through some content rather quickly and was productive it was very productive we were able to finish questions without going off on tangents yeah oh there were a couple of listener emails let me see if i can pull one up real quick uh that we appreciate your emails and we don't hit them um like we should uh let's see where it was um connor emailed again uh he said he would throw some support behind ClassLink's roster server. He is an it's an on-prem solution for them, very customizable, uh and is included with ClassLink's subscription service. Uh her his workflow is now uh PowerSchool to ClassLink to Active Directory and Gmail. So that's another one of those interoperability uh type systems that that is out there. Chris, uh he is an overseas listener, I believe. Oh no, he's upstate New York. Uh he was uh, telling us how he revamped his entire network over the last couple of years, uh, moved things. He was keeping inventory in a spreadsheet and <coughs> and moved everything to MySQL and a couple other projects similarly. So we love listener feedback, listener emails, k12techtalk at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, k 12 Uh Reach out to us, shoot us an email, tweet us, let us know what you think. And if you're at ISTE next week find mark and say hi let's let's uh have a twitter send us a selfie with mark twitter thing we'll have to we'll have to tweet that it's
1: a it's a it's a big deal we'll do hashtag uh what what were the where's, hashtags that chris used
0: where's josh yeah where's josh yeah who knows we'll Mark's find some. hair I, uh, yeah things are going well with pate and then yeah. he just went, went he, off there i have he, to say that episode so i downloaded it we got we were in fort lauderdale on that sunday so I downloaded it to listen on the plane on the way home. And I was laughing like so hard. My son's tapping me. He's like, dad, you're like, stop. You're being really loud. Stop. So yeah, that was, that was a good episode. I always enjoy. Actually, I talked to Pete today, yesterday and today, two days in a row. I talked to Pate. I had fun listening to Pate. He's a mess, man. He, uh, <laughs> he, found himself, he found himself in a situation I, I can't really talk about, but, uh, he finds himself in situations, man. It's and he he was able to help. So I'm, I'm glad he was able to help the, this uh, situation out. That's great. So uh, that was episode 78. I guess Chris will be back next week. Will you How will you be at ISTE all week or I'm there? I'm coming back Tuesday morning.
1: Okay. Uh, so I'm only there for a couple of days. If you are at ISTE all week next week. Also, my colleague Rhiannon is doing a, um, an accessibility playground. So check oh, cool. that one out. That's on Tuesday with a bunch oh. of different accessibility vendors or companies. So, cool is
0: uh, we'll talk about that after the show. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, like I said, shoot us an email. Go visit InfoBlocks. Tell me about uh, you heard about them on the podcast, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.